Salt Company. How are we doing tonight? Ooh, what a video. Not fun to follow that up. Uh, man, it's good to be here. My name's Ryan, like Rob said. I'm from the magical land of Iowa City. We were just getting dinner before this. And I looked up at the TV and saw the Hawks were beating the Badgers. Um, that's ironic. Uh, who won, though? I actually don't know. Oh, man, this is such an awkward night. I uh, love it. No, thanks, guys, so much for having me. I think I came up a couple years ago, if any of you guys were here uh, at the beginning of all this. Um, not like you would remember. I had hair then. Uh, I had a good time, though. You guys were very warm and welcoming, and you have been this time as well. So thank you for having me come here. Hope Ronnie is having just as good of a time down south. Uh, and you might not like Iowa City much. I know, you know, Hawkeyes might not get a good rep. But believe it or not, guys, we have kind of a weirdly high view of you. Not, even, not being sarcastic or anything. Like we, we revere you up here a little bit. The way that most people uh, at the University of Iowa and, and Iowa City view you is uh, Madison is just like a bigger, better Iowa City. Like seriously, like even the way you guys like play football, you're just bigger and better than us. Uh, case in point, like Ronnie's like a bigger and better version of me. And so, uh, yeah, just, it's all love for you down there. And so I hope uh, you can, yeah, roll with that, I guess. But honestly, thrilled to be here. And the big question on the table tonight is this, guys. The table is set with the very big question, will you go? Like I'm getting chills watching that video, not because of the music and the poetry really, but just like God is doing something bigger than me. He's inviting me in, and he's, he's waiting to see, is, is my yes on the table? And tonight, maybe that video blew your mind. Because you have actually never been here, and this is your first night at Salt Country. You're like, what the heck did I just walk into? Maybe that video scared you a bit because you've been avoiding God's plan for your life, and you're, you're scared of conversations and questions like this. But what's true for all of us, no matter who we are, where we're coming from tonight, guys, what's true for all of us is that God is indeed presenting that question to you and to me, will you go? And let's be clear, I'm not here to like tell you exactly what that means, okay? Like my job tonight is not to come up here and tell you exactly what it means for you to go. I don't think I'm supposed to tell you where you should go or when you should go. I don't think God is calling everybody to go across the globe. He might be calling you to just be courageous and go across the room. But our goal tonight, I think, and the goal of the video, and the goal of this whole thing is not to tell you what to do, but to get our hearts in a place where we genuinely are ready to be called by God. I think a win for tonight, guys, would be if we all left with hands open and our yes on the table. That's where we're aiming at tonight. And so there's a big question. What exactly are you saying yes to? <laughs> like go, put my yes on zero. What are you talking about? What we are talking about is God and his bride, his church. That is why we are willing to go. That is where our yes is being placed with God and his church. Church, not the most popular thing. Not the most popular thing. I actually grew up in that church he was talking about, Grand Avenue Baptist in Ames, Iowa. Uh, dude, snooze fest. Not their fault, my fault. I, it was just a weekly nap for me. Like Sunday morning's gone. I lived in what they call a parsonage. You guys know what that is? It's where the church owns a house 
right next to the church. And I was the lucky winner who got to live there. So I was around church every single day, could not escape. I'd be playing in the backyard, boom. I'd see church. You try and skip church, people come over and grab you out of bed and bring you to church. What I would do in church, worship? No, I would draw weird stuff like mazes, dragons, guns. I was a weird kid, I don't know. Church was nothing to me except a duty. There was no passion there, there was no life. There was no calling in my life to say the least. But as I grew up, I did start to fall in love with Jesus. And I would share the gospel with my friends, but do you know what I would do? Maybe you've done this before. What I would do when I would even share the good news of Jesus Christ himself, I would divorce Jesus from the church. I would say, oh, don't you guys know how much Jesus loves you? And I'd be telling my friends in high school, like, Jesus loves you so much, and this is the gospel. He died for you. You can be forgiven. You can be part of his family, but don't worry about the church. We'll get to that later. You can be a Christian without the church. I don't want to scare him away. I didn't want to make them bored with Jesus. What we need to see tonight, guys, is God actually has a very high view of his church. Such a high view that he would call her his very bride. And if we're going to put our yes on the table for him, that means yes to his church. The question asked tonight is, will you go? But underneath that, Maybe the, the first question we need to ask, a more important first starting place for all of us tonight is what can I expect if I actually say yes to the church? What can I expect if I say yes to the church? And as we answer this, guys, I hope that we will be stirred in our soul to emphatically throw our yes on the table and see what God would do with it. If you have your Bibles, would you open to Ephesians 3? That's where we go. Ephesians 3. And we're gonna see three answers to answer that question. What can I expect if I say yes to the church? We're gonna see that you can expect God's extraordinary power. That you can expect God's ordinary people. And finally, you can expect God's immeasurable love. The first thing that we can expect if we put our yes on the table for God and his church is that we should expect to see God's extraordinary power. So if you're in Ephesians 3, I'm going to start reading verses 1 through 7 here. For this reason, I, Paul, the guy who's writing this, the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, in other words, he's preaching the gospel, and he got thrown in jail for it. You have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you? The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This wasn't made known to the people in other generations as has been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. And here it is, guys. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the same promise in Christ Jesus throughout the gospel. In other words, this isn't just a Jewish religion. This is an invitation to the entire world. Anybody can get on this thing called the church. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. What can you expect if you say yes to the church? God's extraordinary power. Let me be very clear about something, okay? As we, as we dive into the text. A church, a healthy, good, thriving church that matters. A church built by men and their power is already a failure. 
a church powered by humans is an impossibility. We talk about church planting, right? You see the big vision on the video. You've been to the conference maybe last year or the year before. We talk about planting. We talk about strong leaders. We talk about great success and conquering mountains. But the moment that we ever, the moment that I ever start thinking that one ounce of success that we taste is from us, we have failed. The church is far too big of an idea. The vision is too grand. The power of man could never accomplish this. No, the mission of spreading God's glory to all the earth, for all eternity, in the church, is too much. If the church, if this thing that we're doing right here, guys, if DOXA, if this network, if the church that Jesus Christ started is ever going to work, it must be resting in the extraordinary power of God. And so my question is how? How does God's extraordinary power create, build, sustain his church? Well, look back at verse 7. Paul tells us exactly what it looks like for the power of God to work. He says, I was made a servant of this gospel, this good news, by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. You see, Paul says that the delivery method of God's power, the medium in, in which we receive it, is through the gospel message of Jesus Christ by the gift of God's grace. This gospel message, the church of God, then is to be created, fueled, sustained by one thing, guys. One thing only. The church is not built from human sweat and grit, but by God's own blood. The power available to us, the power that we can expect if we put our yes on the table for the church, can only be found at the cross. And can all be found at the cross. This is our only hope, and our only hope, guys. What God wants to accomplish, spreading his glory everywhere forever, is too much for us. It's too much for our power. But with God, the work is as good as done. Take it from Paul, the man writing, the man in prison, who had once achieved as much as anybody around him could. The most impressive man in the room, who would turn heads everywhere he would go. He's saying that being a servant to this church is better than being a stud in the world's eyes. He's saying that even the most impressive human achievement ever pales in comparison and is not even worth it compared to the free gift of God on the cross, beckoning sinful people by grace to join his family. Think of it like this. What does God's trophy case look like? What does God's trophy case look like compared to our trophy case? Very, probably none of us have a real trophy. I don't have a trophy case. Maybe think of it like a, your room back home. When you moved out, your parents probably made a shrine to you. Sometimes that happens where they like put all your trophies and medals and ribbons on the wall. I brought my friend Austin here. We visited his house a year ago and I saw like all of his accolades. It was adorable. His mom was just still bragging and living in the glory days. Like that was his trophy case, right? I don't have one of those. But what does our trophy case look like next to God's? Well, to confess, I wanted my trophy case. Like I want to be an impressive person and show all of you how much I can succeed, how much power I have in life. And so what I did this past year is a great example of that. I created a soccer league. People are bored. It's a weird year. And so we created the Veritas Premier League, the VPL. That's our church. 
Any soccer players out there? You would love the VPL. Put a team together. Join our league. It's a good time. But I created a league so that I could win the league. And so I could buy myself a trophy that is now in my car. <laughs> That's pathetic. But it's a really good picture of just how far human power can take us. That's a really good picture of uh, kind of like just how far our success actually matters. <laughs> but then I ask, what does God's trophy case look like? It looks like human-shaped trophies of grace. God wins people. Me and my power, I create soccer leagues and spend my money to buy myself a trophy. God saves and wins hearts. Human-shaped trophies of grace. This is the type of good news, the type of God that makes us want to get in on this power. And so the challenging question that we have now is, have you actually experienced that power? Tonight, right now, like, have you, as you, as you look back at your life, have you experienced this extraordinary power of God? The life-changing, death-to-life, sinner-to-saint type of power we're talking about, found at the cross, opened up in Jesus' blood. And if you are still living to kind of build your trophy case in life, if you are trying to show everybody just how successful and hardworking and accomplished you can be in this life, I'm afraid that maybe you do not know this extraordinary power of God. But if you want to be a trophy in God's trophy case, welcome to the church. And so now the only question is, if the invite is open, if it's free, if it's powerful, if it's wonderful, how do I get in on this? Am I the type of person, <laughs> am I the type of person that God would want in his family? Am I the type of person that God would actually call into this thing he's calling the church? Well, let's find out. If the first thing we can expect from putting our yes on the table is God's extraordinary power, the second thing is we should expect God's ordinary people. Keep reading verse 8 to 13 with me. This grace, this gift, was given to me the least of all the saints. To proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may be known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf. For they are for your glory. What can we expect? As we say yes to the church, we can expect God's ordinary people. What kind of people does God seem to choose to build his church? Well, it would seem that Paul thinks that the least of these seem to have an advantage. It seems that the least of these have the upper hand. He seems to boast, not in his high social standing, right? All he accomplished in his life. That he was the most religious and rule-abiding person. He wasn't boasting in his greatness, but in his, like, leastness. <laughs> in his lowliness. In other words, it would seem that the only qualification to receive God's goodness is for you to actually have sin. 
to have sin, to lack the power to change on your own, and to expect God to move through that. What we read in verse 10 there is that through the church, God's eternal wisdom would be made visible. That angels, those in the heavens, you think about this, angels in the heavens are on the edge of their seat, peering in in anticipation of what God is about to do. And what he does, and what he's still doing tonight, friends, is rarely something that the world would call wisdom at all. He's not picking the most moral, gifted, or powerful people to build a church. He's picking the weak, broken, the worst of rebels to build a church that hell trembles at. Why? Because he does this so the true message, the true purpose of the church actually succeeds. Namely, that this whole thing, this whole thing going on is not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about him. It's about the unsearchable riches of Christ. That now and forever, the song of the church would not be how great we are, how great Salt Company is, but how great Jesus is. It would almost seem that God is just showing off by picking Paul, a person who's trying to just squash and kill the church. It seems like God is just showing off by picking people like me and like you. It would appear that the more sinful we see ourselves to be, the more awe we have of this grace. And the more awe we have of this grace, the more the gates of hell are trembling as this church is moving forward. And when ordinary people start to experience the extraordinary power of God, the world is about to change. God chooses ordinary people to show off his extraordinary power. What is the resume? What do you think is the resume of a man who will change the world with his life? What kind of person do you think would change the world in their lifetime? It's not what you would think. It may not be the people with all the PhDs. It may not be the hardest workers or those with the most privilege. It may not be the most gifted. It may not be the elite warriors, right? Like the strongest who were chosen to destroy the ring in Mordor. But the hobbits, the small, the weak, And I got to throw it in there because I know I look like a hobbit and it pumps me up. Because I can do great things according to this. Anybody can get in on this. Anybody who is ordinary can experience the extraordinary power of God. This fact that the unstoppable church is made up of ordinary people is a two-edged sword though. Don't miss that. Like this, this has some good and this, this has some bad. That this amazing power is working through ordinary people. On the one hand, it's terrible news. It's terrible news for those of us who think that we are really something special. But on the other hand, this is the best news on earth to those of us who are not that impressive at all. Friends, it's not our impressiveness that changes the world. It's the blood of Jesus. Are you ordinary enough for God to use you? In the church, we should expect God's extraordinary power to work through ordinary people, but to do what exactly? I'm talking about the gates of hell trembling here. We're talking about taking mountains. Extraordinary power in ordinary people doing what? 
displaying God's immeasurable love. You should expect, if you put your yes on the table, to see God's immeasurable love, to experience God's immeasurable love. Let's keep reading here. 13 through 19, let's go. Love it. 14 through 19, sorry. For this reason, oh, this is so good, guys. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, width, height, and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul, and all of his love for the Ephesians, breaks out in prayer for them and for us tonight. And what he prays is this, that we would be very, very strong for something. For what? To go move mountains, to conquer, to march for it? No, not to do anything at first, actually. Surprisingly enough, to receive something. Not to do, but to receive. He prays that the church, full of believers, human-shaped trophies of God's grace, would link arms in love, dig their feet into the ground, and get ready to receive something big. Receive what? Strength. Strength to understand something. You see that? Verse 17 and 18. He says, I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length, width, height, and depth of what? God's love. The immeasurable, unending love of God. Paul is praying that the church would understand the love of Jesus in all of its weight. In other words, there is so much love that Jesus has for his church, that he has for you, it's actually dangerous. Like a poor little Dixie cup being held under a waterfall, trying to receive that water, is just going to get decimated. We got to be strong if we're going to receive this much blessing, this much love. And it would seem that God himself plans to strengthen his church. To receive all this love. How much? An immeasurable amount, it says. An amount that we plan, Christian, we plan church to explore the depths of this love for all eternity. Where it never gets old and it is sweet. Every taste that we take, every breath that we take, everything that we look at is going to be just doused in God's love. We're not going to be holding up Dixie cups under a waterfall. We're going to be dancing under waterfalls, drinking freely, eternally of this immeasurable love. He's praying, Paul is, not just that we would be full of adrenaline and hype tonight, that we'd get pumped up to go do great things. That's cheap. It won't last. It won't work. He's praying that we would go, but only after first being filled with the fullness of God himself. He wants us to first know something, something that goes, like it says, beyond knowledge. What the heck does that mean? How does that work? Do you know what the greatest food I have ever eaten was Joe's ribs in Kansas City anybody been yeah half of a gas station looks like trash looks like you're just going up to get a candy bar or something I'm there 
soccer team, high school, it's played in like 90 degree weather, just exhausting. And we go because we hear this place is pretty good. It's fine. We're excited. We're hungry. We're starving. And we get there, and there is a line out the door. And we stood in line for over three hours. I'm not making that up. Three hours, we stand out line in the hot sun, exhausted teenage boys, smelling that barbecue coming out. And three hours later, we get inside, and we sit down, each with his own full slab of ribs, and we just went to town. And I can't really repeat what one of my friends said, but it'll stick with me forever. And he said something along the lines of, with less colorful language, every single thing that I eat from here on out will be garbage. And I will never forget those words. I will never forget the, the meat just falling off of those ribs. Congratulations, you now know what the best food on earth is. But you don't really know, do you? Except a couple of you, I saw some hands raised. You don't know until you're actually the one sinking your teeth in there. There is a difference we all understand of no and no. You can know something in your head and never experience it and it is a wasted knowledge. But there is a knowledge that is experiential. That sink your teeth into Joe's ribs type of knowledge that changes your life forever. What we are presented here is the most immeasurable, incredible, undeserved love ever known to mankind. The very thing that is going to satisfy our souls, take away all of our longings and realize that we have hit the jackpot. And I'm telling you tonight, it's completely free and it's completely giving up everything to get this love. It sounds silly to challenge one another to receive love, (laughs) right? It seems silly to challenge one another to accept this love, and yet I know it's so hard. Paul is praying for us tonight that you'd actually be able to receive this love. Even the coldest person who is the farthest from God, the most apathetic of any of us in this room, Paul is praying for you, that you would be able to receive this love. He is not ignorant to the fact that for us to believe, it would actually take God's extraordinary power to make us believe. But I'm telling you tonight that when God and his extraordinary power gets in ordinary people, they can actually receive this immeasurable love. And this chapter ends, and we're going to end tonight with one of the greatest short paragraphs that you will ever read in your life. And this is what it says in verse 20. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond or immeasurably more all that we ask or think according to the power at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. The question on the table tonight is will you go? Will you go? Because if, if this Bible is true, if this good news is true, the real question is how could you not go? Friends, look, look what's before us. Look who is before us. Look at the cross. Look at the extraordinary power of God wrapped in humility, bleeding and dying for you. Look at the empty tomb proving to you that he is not weak but strong. And that your sin problem, your death problem could be handled like that. And he was serious. So serious 
about you receiving this love that he crawled down and died. We are being invited into the family of God by his extraordinary power, surrounded by other ordinary people. We are being pummeled by the waterfall that is his immeasurable love. And now we are left with this, that we would glorify him in the church, local churches all over the world, forever. From generation to generation. By asking big and scary, audacious requests of this God. That's what we're left with. We're left asking questions. If we believe he loves us, sinful as we can be, an extraordinary power does indeed belong to him alone, then we are to ask and imagine massive things. What could he do with your life? What could he do with your life? What could he do? He can do more than we can ask or imagine. And so the only application to that is to start asking and imagining. And that's exciting. Will he take you to the ends of the earth? Will he have you bring this good news to people who have never heard it before, who have no access to this good news? Will he ask you to walk across the room for him? Will he ask you to have that hard conversation with the person who your relation with them, your friendship with them is on the fence? Will you put your yes on the table for God and his church? How could we not? Let me pray for us, guys. Lord Jesus, you are, um, you are far too good to broken people. You are so powerful that like when you speak, galaxies are made from nothing. And yet you looked at people like rebels like myself and everybody here in this room and you thought, you thought of something crazy. You thought to come down and to die for people like me, to show off your extraordinary power through an ordinary sinful vessel. And so that we, your church, the beloved bride, would walk down the aisle one day in heaven. And that we would see the king of the universe with scars in his hands and his forehead marred by those thorns. But you're alive and you're reigning and you're victorious. And you have invited us into an eternity of being pampered and lavished by your love. And so God, I pray for us that we would put our yes on the table tonight. That there is a large calling and there are some scary, scary ideas running through our head right now. Stuff that we don't want you to ask us to do, God. But would you convince us, like no human power could, could you convince us by your power and your kindness that you are worth it? God, we need your help. We need your help even to love you, to sing these songs and to mean it. But you are here and you are working. And it is in your holy name that we ask these things.